everybody lies. Recently, I started re-watching the TV series House on Netflix. Probably the most famous quote and theme from the show is, everybody lies. As diagnosticians, Dr. House and his team had to use the data presented to them to find the truth about what was really happening with their patients. While surveys may be the voice of the customer, Dr. House reminds us that everybody lies. But we have access to other forms of data to inform us about what's happening with our customers. My guest this week is Craig Stoss, Senior Operations Manager at Partner Hero, and he believes organizations should use their customer support data to deliver the best possible experiences for customers. This week on NextNQ, we discussed four types of customer data, the biggest challenge related to utilizing that data, quantitative versus qualitative data, next issue avoidance, and why product teams should be listening to support teams. Let's get to it. Welcome to Next in Q, the podcast for contact center and customer experience professionals. Next in Q is brought to you by Happy Two Vision. Eliminate blind spots and see right through every conversation with Happy Two Vision. Learn more at HAPPITU.com. Now, here's your host, Rob Dwyer. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining another episode of Next in Q. Today, I'm joined by Craig Stoss. Craig, how are you? I'm very well, Rob. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the show. Um, before we get started on our topic today, which is about using support data, let's learn a little bit about Craig. Uh, first of all, where, where are you from? Uh, I'm based uh, just west of Toronto, Canada. Um, if anyone remembers the BlackBerry smart device, it was invented in a place called Waterloo, Ontario, and that is the city that I live in. So that is our claim to fame. And you uh, are with Partner Hero, and we'll talk about that just a little bit. But how did you get into this business? Have you been in it uh, your entire career? Yeah, more or less. I've been customer facing for, for a long time now. But it uh, it started back in the late 90s when when uh, the internet was this new thing. and And I was hired as a teenager to uh, teach at the local library computer courses to to children and to senior citizens. There was a, a program to bring internet to smaller communities. And I grew up in a very tiny community in, in Southwestern Ontario. And I just really found, I'd always liked technology. I was always fascinated by the fact that I could tell an inanimate object to do something and it would do it. That was, that was fascinating to me. Um, and then I learned to, to combine that technology uh, with people. And, and so I went in through a computer science degree and, and yeah, I can code and I, I have that background. But uh, really what was fascinating to me was the process of technology, the the way technology can aid in in, uh, in human interactions and, and those types of things. And uh, 
went straight into support roles right outside of university and learned a lot about how to care for customers. And that turned into uh, consultancy type work. So being right customer facing um, and, and then, you know, blossomed into more leadership type roles and building out global teams. And that's what led me to partner hero. I, you know, I've had, I've worked with outsourcers in the past and uh, partner here was a fantastic uh, company that really cares about the customer experience, about customer quality and ticket quality and, uh, and, and really embraces the, the whole idea of building strong, global support over, uh, organizations. And that's that's what really spoke to me. Yeah, I love that. Well, you and I met at the Support Driven Expo. I think we had connected over LinkedIn before that, uh, but finally got a chance to meet in person. And uh, that's what led us here today. That's right. And I asked you when we talked about bringing you on the podcast, what you were really passionate about and uh tell me what what you said about that because i think that'll lead us right into our topic yeah in general i i think i'm just passionate about bringing the best possible experiences to to customers i i really i really think that we are all of us every human being globally is is a consumer we all consume things we all have interactions with brands with 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 uh, vendors that we use and um, and that's both in the software world and, and outside of that. And, and so one of the ways that I've discovered can really, that can really enhance that experience is through using data. And so when you asked me a question, that was what I came to was I would love if our colleagues in the support industry, again, outside of support and outside of software and inside of software would use the data that we have to build better customer experiences. And that it's uh, something I've spoken about at conferences, including the support-driven conference we met at. Um, it's something I've, I've talked about on other, other, other podcasts. And it's just, it's a really important topic. And I think there are a, an infinite number of ways you can, can angle it, depending on the type of conversation and the type of business. But one thing I know for certain is that everyone that's listening to this podcast has data today they can use to bring bring more context and higher qual, uh, higher quality customer experiences to their customers and they just don't and you and you all just don't and that's not a criticism no one's doing it well yet and i'm hoping that over the course of the next uh next few minutes as we converse we can get some ideas bouncing around about how companies can do that yeah it's amazing to me how much data is out there and yet companies really struggle to use that data in meaningful ways to impact the customer experience. And um, that is changing, but it's not as quickly moving as, as some people might think it is. Uh, let's talk a little bit about when we talk about support data, what are we talking about? What are we actually talking about? What types of data might companies have that they can use? That's a great question. Great starting point. I look at it kind of in four categories of data. So the first category is in, in the one that we're most familiar with and the one we likely use the most is what I call the, the individual ticket data. 
So that's a, someone has submitted a ticket to you. Someone has come to your customer service counter at a retail store. One person, one problem, typically very confined to that, that ecosphere. And in that case, you might know things like that person's name, maybe the, the, the products or purchase histories, the, the things they do, uh, obviously the problem they're going to list to you, but it's a very small limited set of data that you can then use. And, you know, that's the typical support use case. You go to your knowledge base and type in some keywords. You, you know, use your, your experience to, uh, to answer that question, whatever it might be, but it's, it's, that's the smallest set of data you can have. Then the next set of data up from that is all the user metadata around that person. So how often have they contacted you? Uh, what is their user history? What have they done within the product recently? Uh, what is their purchase history in the retail use case? What is everything about this individual? Maybe what company they work for is, is part of that, if that, if you're a B2B company. Um, just everything about that individual's context in, in talking to you. Maybe their location is relevant. Maybe their age or their gender is relevant, depending on your business. Uh, industry is another one, If if again, if you're B2B. But more context about that person can give you a better conversation. For example, different industries use different terms for things. So you could you could change the tone. Um, you might be able to say, oh, this is a new customer. So we should maybe treat that customer a little differently than an existing customer as far as their knowledge about something, right? Existing customers tend to have more knowledge. And so maybe you change your tone there. Um, maybe there's a note on this person's account that they prefer a certain channel over another channel or they uh, they don't like being put on hold or something, but there, there's context about this user beyond just that one ticket. And that's that's the second set of data that I think you have. Um, one thing that I mentioned in there is their usage pattern. Uh, that's something that isn't always thought of as support data. And typically, you know, some people would, would agree with that. Uh, but I feel that it is support data. It might be collected by a tool that product or your development team is using. You know, for example, the the clicks or these these tools that measure workflows within product. There's many of them out there. Um, but that data can be used by support. So share it between the departments and understand what were the things that person that user was doing inside your SaaS application uh, that led to a call. You know, it's the data is there and it might just be sitting there for product, but if you give access to support, they can access that and, and, and really learn and have more intelligent conversations because now they know exactly what widget was being worked on. They know exactly what input was being put into the application and they can have, again, more contextual information from that. The next set of data from that <clears throat> is the company data or the wider set of data that evolves around that user. So again, B2B, that would be typically a company, but in, even in the in the retail industries or non, um, you know, B2C, there's a community of people that are like this user. So it's the wider set of people like the one you're talking to. And, and that could be things like uh, thing, things like that are more important to uh, the use cases, for example, those people typically use. The, the company ha comes to you for some value and they maybe need to understand all the use cases of the product. Uh, it could be, uh, has, this, has this person called in about an issue that other people in this company have already called in about? Is there, uh, is there stuff work going already on? 
Uh, one thing that I love to look at is things like the tenure of that company. Is this a newer account or a long, mm -hmm. more long a longevity account? Uh, pulling data from your customer success management tool that says, hey, this account has a renewal coming soon, or this account is already red for some reason, and, and, and they need some more TLC than maybe uh, than maybe some other customers do. But there's, a, there's again, context there. And the final set, of course, is the entire superset of all your users. What is the context here? Is this person calling in about something that all your users are calling in? Maybe there's a, I was a new feature release uh, that that broke something very important. Uh, maybe there's a fire going on in your product and this is just one symptom of that. Uh, whatever it might be, look at that compared to everyone and start to be able to make better product and service uh, decisions based on that data. Uh, the one split that I see all the time is new customers have different problems than existing customers or customers that have been there for six, 12 months. So maybe there's a problem with your onboarding process or your implementation process is broken. Maybe your product isn't user-friendly or intuitive enough. Those are things that you can look at on the, in the holistic view and say, wow, yeah, based on tenure, I, I can see completely different problem sets and that how do we make sure that those problems go away for each side of the, the tenure. So those are the four kind of distinct types of data I see, and each of them maybe contain a different systems. Uh, they certainly uh, need to be integrated uh, and, and each of them does serve a different purpose and may not be necessary in one case or another, but that's how you get through from, from one to four. Yeah, there is, I think you just illustrated so much data and Part of the challenge that you also touched on is the variety of systems that we may be using and the visibility of that data because a lot of the time that data is siloed in a system that uh, a support team may not have access to. Yes, it exists, but that doesn't mean that it's visible to me or that I have that available. And those integrations can be really challenging, particularly as companies are using all these different disparate systems for different purposes. Do you think the bigger challenge is getting those systems to talk to each other and present that data? Or do you think the bigger challenge is actually synthesizing the data to make it useful or, or interpreting the data to make it useful? That's a really, really good question. Um, I would say that the integration piece is important in the sense that the, the easier this data is at hand within your ticket management tools, Zendesk, Salesforce, customer, whichever, whatever tool you use, having that data in there integrated and visible and accessible makes things so much, there's less friction, there's less chances of, of losing track of what you're doing, there's less time to, to gather this data. So it's important. Is it required to do what I'm pitching here? I don't think so. I think the synthesis is more important from a let's get this thing started and let's figure out what we can do with it and then do the integration. 
Um, I've seen people do this by tier of support. So if you have kind of a frontline front tier and a backline, you know, backline has these tools at hand that maybe frontline doesn't and it's it's handled, used to handle escalations as opposed to, uh, you know, every ticket that comes in. That's one way to start. So I would, you know, when you say which is more difficult, I feel like what's more difficult is showing training and teaching your agents to understand that that uh, ecosphere of all the tools and why you would want to look at them mm. uh, in the SaaS world or IOT space where data just constantly is being streamed into your servers, you know, having them understand what a data warehouse is and when to access it. There are, there's some really cool tools out there that now uh, are, um, a, a de-obfuscation layer, a clarity layer between a data warehouse and support, because what it does is, is is organize the data in a way that support can use it without, but pulls in real time from your data warehouse. I think that's fantastic, right? That is, that is excellent that you could type in certain information and it gives you exactly what you would expect in a table form, you know, pulling all the primary keys and everything in together. Um, but it's not... It's not as simple anymore as saying, hey, here's a ticket, you know, read the ticket, understand some keywords, go search a knowledge base, go search, search your, your, your uh, you know, internal uh, help engine, whatever that is, go reproduce it on your system. That's not really the case anymore. It's now understand how to find certain log files in, in the, you know, your elastic backend, you know, uh, go Look at your data warehouse. Go look at a a tool that measures the the clicks and the inputs uh, from your from your software, like a Pendo type tool. Um, it, there, there's so much there that I feel like that's the biggest hurdle is saying, I'm giving we're giving you access to this ecosystem of stuff, and we trust you to to, to figure out when to use it, when it makes sense to use it. Um, that I think is the biggest hurdle. And so there's the kind of, that's the synthesis of it. It's what tools do we need and how do we get quick access to them to our people uh, to, to be able to make use of them? And then building that trust that they know when to use those tools and when not to. Once it's once that's done and then the integration piece into your your uh, into your ticket tool, that's that's technologically more difficult, but once you know why someone's accessing the tools, accessing all those tools, you know what queries to run to, and so you know exactly what needs to be in Zendesk. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, the technical piece of Zendesk then gets more difficult, or, or whatever tool, whatever ticket management tool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I hear you saying, right, is that, uh. Yeah, it's great to have all of the tools that you need in your toolbox, but the understanding of when I need to use a particular tool, what its function is and how it will help me achieve something. You know, I just think like, okay, maybe you're working on your car, right? And you've got uh, all of these tools and that's great if you know, hey, I need a socket wrench right now and I need yep. this size of a, of a socket to, to accomplish whatever it is that I'm trying to do. And that's, that's the difference between someone that has a garage full of tools and someone who's an actual mechanic, right? They know yep. what to do with the tools. Could not agree more. That's a great analogy because I know nothing about cars either. So <laughs> it's a perfect analogy. I could have every tool in the world and I wouldn't know how to fix my car. So <laughs> I do want to ask you about, 
quantitative versus qualitative data because I feel like there is an over-reliance sometimes on the quantitative data, the things that are um, very easy to measure. This person has contacted us uh, X times before. This person has this much tenure as a customer or this person drives uh, X amount of revenue or whatever the case it is, right? These things that are very simple to measure versus the, the qualitative data, which is difficult to measure. And it may be data that's captured within a conversation that is not so easy to just, you know, include in a ticket diagnosis. Are companies missing the boat on using that qualitative data to make decisions? Yes. <laughs> I mean, very short. Uh, the reason why those, those even the examples you gave, the revenue, the, num the, uh, the number of calls per person, the reason why those are, are popular, it's the same as why CSAT and NPS are very popular. It's incredibly easy to measure store and aggregate and 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 explain those numbers um not that i'm saying that any of those numbers are invalid i'm not dismissing those numbers but it's rarely the whole story and that's the piece that i i think can change when i when i'm talking about adding more quantity of data to the stuff that you already have uh to get qualitative data so perfect example my CSAT drops by by ten percent in a quarter, or some something that draws notice a big a big drop. What what do you do about that today if that happens? Maybe you start a program on empathy, or maybe you shrink your your uh you know your first response time. More generic things, typically. But what if you had all this extra data? still might be considered quantitative but 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 it could be morphed into qualitative that shows that your CSAT only dropped on a specific ticket type or it only dropped by one of your global offices and it dropped significantly for that office but it lowered the average across the globe or it was uh only only dropped because uh because of a, a, a widget that you know was broken during a product release or something to that effect. If you know even just that one extra data point, that becomes more qualitative because then you can be more precise on solving that problem. And so step away from the easiness of I can measure CSAT and I can measure average handle time or whatever. And, and, and bring them together in some sort of tool, even Excel or, or Google Sheets can do this, <laughs> bring them together and start and start comparing them based on different data points. I, I advocate this for every team I, I speak to. Um, the idea that something impacted something else, and, it, it, and it's not even necessarily a causation correlation argument here yet. Uh, it could get to that, but you <laughs> can start to see those trends of, yeah, it only happened for this particular ticket. And I'll, and then and then further to, to that, so once you figure that out, that that helps you bring, bring quantitative data into the qualitative realm. But further to that, think about what provides 
value that your customers wouldn't ask for. And I'll give us a, a, a retail example on this one. Um, I went to a, I used to go to a restaurant quite frequently. Uh, I lived in a different city and I would go to this restaurant quite frequently. And then I, I moved out of that city. So I didn't go for about, about two and a half years. And I went back to visit some friends and I was with my girlfriend at the time. And I said, Oh, I want to show you this restaurant that I used to go to. And I walked into the, the restaurant and we, we had a reservation and the host took us to our seats. And as we sat down, he said, Oh, by the way, Mr. Stoss, the wine that you've typically ordered when you hear is no longer on our, on our uh, seller list. Uh, but we made uh, three recommendations uh, that we think are similar wines that you might enjoy. Wow. That is using a, a piece of data. They know who I am because I booked with my email address and my name. They, uh, they knew when I was coming and they have all the receipts from my day, my, uh, my previous times there. They, and they knew I, and they were right. I quite frequently ordered the same wine there. I would never have asked them to do that. I would never have called them and said, Hey, I want you to recommend wines proactively to me. <laughs> right. And that's where you can start to provide value. What are your customers? What are your customers value about your product? What is it? Find that. And then find a way that use it using data to, to help them get there faster, to provide that value faster. Um, I worked in, an, in, in a company where, where the same product was used, but it was used across multiple industries and multiple industries had different terminologies for the different widgets. Most of our support calls started out with a, with almost like a, what language are we speaking conversation because support had, you know, the mixing and matching terms, they wouldn't have heard those other terms necessarily. Why not have that in big flashing letters somewhere? This person is, is in this this industry, so you know what language to use with them. It's subtle. It's small. It doesn't have to be big and sweeping. Um, but you have these tiny pieces of, uh, you know, again, quantitative data that just measures stuff and numbers and make it qualitative by, by, by combining it into something that tells a better story. And that's the big thing that I think we are not doing as support leaders. Yeah, I absolutely love that. One of the things I was thinking about as you were talking through all of that is one of the big mistakes that we can make when we are looking at data is making assumptions about that data, particularly when it's high level data and not granular, like what you were talking about. Like, let's, let's add more data points. Let's get more granular. Because what that can then help you do is stop making assumptions and understand what's actually happening. Because we all bring our own biases, our own experience. When you were talking about uh, CSAT declining, we all have our own kind of base first go-to reasons why CSAT might be declining that we're going to jump to. And it's often focused on agent performance, what the agents are doing. And that may be truthful for a particular agent or a group of agents, but it may not. And it may not be what the real root cause is. And what I hear you saying is let's get to the root cause and let's let the data guide us there yeah uh, 
you couldn't have summarized it more more accurately, right? It's it's this idea of it's this idea of qu the quantitative data again. Sorry, yeah, the quantitative data again. You know, put that into a big sp spreadsheet of some sort and just do that statistical analysis of what's correlated throughout all of these these different numbers that you measure, and you might be surprised. A, a great example of this. And I, I've used this in, a, in some articles I've written. So if you know me, my content, you might have heard this story. Um, I did some analysis at a previous company of what was the biggest uh, correlation to escalated tickets. We wanted to try to start stop co uh, escalated tickets from happening. So we took roughly 20 some odd data points. I want to say it was about 25 data points out of our ticket tool for two past two years. And we put them all into a big data analytics thing. And we started analyzing what is correlation. And if I ask you to guess which they what they were, what might would you say? First response time, length of ticket open, things like that. Priority, priority yeah. of ticket. And now this, this, this is important. This was a very technical product. And our, the customer we were talking to we typically were very technical people. And what do technically people technical people like to do they like to solve problems generally speaking the number one correlation to a ticket escalating in this company was day of the week the ticket was opened which wow. intuitively doesn't make any sense but if you think about it it does because what would happen is some problem would come up on a monday or a tuesday the technical person would sit there and bang their head at it for three days because they want to solve their problem on Friday, they would get frustrated, be like, it's end of week. I can't figure it out. Here's support. We don't work on weekends. So we get back to them on Monday morning and they'd say, this thing's been going on for a week, escalate immediately. You know, and it's to us, it's only been open for, you know, one business day, but to them, it's been a problem for a week. And, and so when you start to tell that story, all of a sudden you start to figure, well, maybe we need to overstaff a bit on Fridays. Maybe we should start working on weekends. That was something we talked about, but maybe we should overstaff on Fridays a bit to get to those tickets faster and, and calm the person down or whatever it might be. Or maybe we need to escalate tickets on Friday faster even get them through the system faster so we don't have the, the person demanding the escalation, which is clearly a, a bad customer experience. But what an incredible piece of insight, right? Uh, all of those other things were on the list first response time, handle time, all those things you would expect to be on the list were there, but day of the week. And, and so it really helps you frame the conversation a bit more. It really helps you bring more context to what this person has experienced. And, um, and that's important. That that's what the customer experience, experience is all about is getting in the head of your customer without them necessarily having to, uh, specifically and explicitly tell you what's going on in their head because sometimes they don't even know they just yeah. know they don't <laughs> right. they don't really express it that hey i'm mad that i've been working on this thing since tuesday they don't they they just are want this thing fixed that's all they want in the end yeah customers aren't always going to give you all of the context either exactly. right i mean you have to sometimes figure out what that context is and i think that's a, a great example one of the things that I really think we as a, a society should do when it comes to education is let's forget about calculus in high school and let's do data analytics in high school because what you are talking about 
that can apply in so many different spheres, right? It's not just for support for organizations. There are lots of reasons that data analytics are not only important, but increasingly more and more important. And I don't know that enough people are prepared to do that kind of analysis, even with simple tools. What, what's your take on that? You, you live in Canada, uh, so there's a little bit of a difference there. I'm curious what your take is on that. It's, it's a lot of perception is reality type conversations when it comes to that, right? It's the, what I think, I mean, something outside of support, what I might think is something that's frequent or something that's expensive or something that is uh, annoying is going to be different than what, what you do, or maybe different than the average. And, and that's fine, right? I don't mean, there's no reason why that is, but it's just not one of those things that I, I, again, going back to the second the conversation we had a second ago, where I say, I'm going to specifically go to, Hey, Rob, here's the list of things that I find annoying uh, that, that happen too frequently <laughs> that, that, that are too expensive, but it, it's going to matter in the general conversation of when you, when you meet with your customer, when, when you're doing support for these customers. And so you know, I, I've done a lot of work internationally. I've been very lucky to to travel for work and and work in different industries when I was doing the consultancy uh, role. And it is incredible to me the different perceptions you 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 get when you go to different countries, uh, go to work in different industries, and what they what they expect of you, and and quite frankly, what they don't expect of you. Right? It's uh, it's one of those things that we just uh, there's a there's a great quote from. Uh, the Truman Show, um, uh, Ed Ed Harris, I think, was the, the 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 architect of the Truman Show, right? And and he says we we accept the reality with which we're presented, and I think that's that's true in support. You know, uh, there's a really good there's a really good uh, team building exercise that I've used before for support teams, where if you you ask someone to to tell you how to make a peanut butter sandwich. And little do they know that you've done some silly things before. So for example, the, the jam jar is stored upside down or the knife is in the, the knife is in the drawer backwards or something. And so when they say open the jam jar, you pick the jam jar up and open it upside down and the jam falls out. And you're like, oh, well, you made an assumption that the jam jar was right side up, right? And then I knew that. Um, or they say, oh, you know, now spread spread the jam and they don't say use a knife. Well, dig your hand in. Okay. Spread the jam <laughs> on it. It gets messy, but it sounds like start it. laughing, but, but it illustrates a very clear point of where we make our assumptions. And funny enough, I once had in a, in a team of mine, um, a, a woman who had just moved uh, from overseas and she had never had a peanut butter sandwich. So even the assumption I knew I, that she, everyone in the room knew what a peanut butter sandwich, peanut butter jam sandwich was, was, was false. And that was really an interesting one because right there off the, before we even started the exercise, it was, it was, uh, uh, there was this lesson to be learned that, Hey, not everyone in the, in the world eats peanut butter and jam sandwiches. So when you say about making assumptions, you can go overboard, right? You know, Hey Rob, do you know what a peanut butter and jam sandwich is? Hey Rob, do you store your jam right side up? Like, I mean, you can go overboard with that. And that, that, Exercise is meant to be a bit exaggerated. 
but you need to make sure that when you are having these conversations that that the the things the patterns and the trends that you've seen in past are at least taken into account on those assumptions um and there are some that are obvious i hate when i see and, and i'm a technical guy but i still hate when i get an email that says things like oh please clear your cache to see if it works and, and try again I know what that means, and it pisses me off. Right? Could you could you imagine right. my 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 mother getting that email? Like she she doesn't even know what cash means, let alone how to clear <laughs> the cash. Right? Those are the types of things that that I think we in in the industry, especially in tech stuff, because tech is just a, a whole other thing to itself, but it works everywhere. Um, we need to be clearer on what we're asking our customers to do. And we're accounting for, um, well, it's called typically called next issue avoidance in some cases, like, hey, clear the cash. What's the cash? I mean, you could predict that that question is going to come, right? Um, I call this, I, I wrote an article that's called building building an attack plan. And, and the idea is, is that to break down these conversations that are very, you know, hey, Rob, please, can you get me this log file? Or, hey, Rob, can you tell me what this setting is? Or, you know, these kind of one-off questions that really are meandering, Build an attack plan. Hey, hey, Rob, can you check this setting? And if it's you know true, do this these three things. If it's false, do these three things, and, and build that a, attack plan around how you want to uh, close this ticket. Um, you know that at least tries to get rid of some of these subjects. Because then you, probably being somewhat of an expert in the thing you're doing, can look at that and be like, oh, I see the direction Craig is going. Now I can make some assumptions about what what Craig wants to do, and I can help myself a little bit better. Those types of things are what we need to do to break that down. But you're absolutely correct. They're, they're, this is a problem in general across the sport industry. Mm. I wonder, as we, we've we talked about data, but I also feel like there is a looming pushback. And certainly B2B is different than B2C. But I do feel like there is a looming pushback on the amount of data that is being gathered and used uh, on on and for uh, consumers. And uh, we've already seen some legislation, GDPR being a perfect example. Mm -hmm. uh, California's got their own legislation regarding privacy and how companies can use data. But do you see that as a looming challenge with regard to how we use data to provide better support or better experiences? I think it, I think it could be. You're you're probably correct. It, it could be. It depends on. We have accepted for years. Google, Facebook, all of these companies using cookies and other techniques to mine data, to market to us, to sell to us, to convince us of things. Um, you know, Cambridge Analytica was was an eye-opening experience for a lot of people, even people that were in that industry. Um, and and so I guess what I'm what I go to is that has always been a selfish purpose in many cases, right? Facebook doesn't collect that to necessarily provide. They say it's to provide me with more relevant ads, but really, <laughs> that's just a selfish purpose for them because then if it's relevant to me, then I'm more likely to buy it. So it's it's still selfish. Um, I, ideally I'd like to see no ads. Right. Um, and there are things that Google does with that data that are helpful. Like when I search 
you know, drugstore, it shows me the address and phone number of the closest drugstore to where I've made that search. And that's that's useful in, in in most cases. Now, I've generally switched off of Google products, but, you know, that, and so I do miss that sometimes, but it, it's a useful thing that maybe helps me do, do better, easier things. I think the difference within support is that this stuff, the data in most cases, the data that we're collecting is either offered freely to us like through a survey, like a CSAT or MPS survey, or it's stuff that directly relates to the business that we're doing. It's not, it's not the ex exterior metadata about you. We don't care where you're sitting necessarily. Um, we don't care about your usage patterns outside of the, the thing that we're trying to support. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we're collecting it with the only sole purpose of trying to provide better value back to you. If we start using that to, to you know, the marketing department kind of usurps that from us and starts sending you targeted emails or whatever that might be. Yeah, that that could get, um, you know, a bit creepy. There is that famous story about Target knowing uh, that, a, that a woman was pregnant before she did because of the certain buying patterns that that was a famous case study in data analytics a, a few years ago. Um, there's 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 all this stuff that, yes, you can take it and use it for selfish or nefarious reasons, I suppose. I don't think support would ever do that in its, in its bubble. Um, so it's more about how to support protect that data and what is the minimum subset of data we need to be able to do those things that are useful to our customers. Could it eventually go away because of privacy rules and, and other, uh, other exterior concerns? Yeah. I mean, it could, but in the end, maybe that benefits us all. And we all accept, Hey, we will be, we accept to be slightly more inconvenienced because my privacy is privacy is important. I, I don't know if we're there yet. And I don't, uh, quite frankly, I don't think other than maybe the European Union, the, our, our other governments are are worried about that as a top priority, which is good and bad. We could debate that in another conversation. <laughs> it is a, an entire conversation in and yeah. of itself, for sure. But it leads me to a, another question, and that is, are organizations not taking advantage of support data within other functions outside of support. And, and so if I do have all of this data and just mentioned, right, marketing emails, um, but is there, a, is there a miss for some companies in that they're not using the data that is just there for, from all their customers when they are dealing with support? I think the two biggest places I see this problem, um, not so much on the marketing side, I see it in the product decision side. I, I feel like support should have a bigger voice in most product teams than they do today. Things like something very simple that every sport team can do today. This type of ticket on average takes this many minutes to handle or this many hours to handle. The average salary of our sport team is X. That means annually this, this type of ticket costs us this much money. That much money is more than what it would cost you to actually fix this thing, whatever it is, to make it work properly or make it more user-friendly. Therefore, the company overall would save money. 
that's not done near as much as it should. So that's the biggest one that that product should listen to support data to be able to make some product decisions that both benefit the customer, but also make the product more supportable and save the overall company money. And the second place that I see this gap is with uh, people that run a true customer success program. So like in a, with their seat, with a customer success tool where they're keeping track of account health and account status and, and uh, uh, you know, doing uh, smart things on that side Number of tickets, number of escalations, number of priorities, number of anything, the quantitative data, going back to that, feed that into your, your customer success tool so that that's part of the conversation. So when the account manager, when the success manager calls their client, they can ha- say, oh, I see you've had an influx of tickets. You know, is there something that, you know, is there something overall you want to talk about? Is this is this a training issue? Do we need to provide you some more training? What, whatever but you can have a more intelligent conversation on the success side. They, the focus on those tools is so often on renewal dates, uh, you know, late payments, you know, uh, bigger escalations, uh, you know, things that, that aren't really involving of the day-to-day support operations. And that's a big miss too, because it's, it, it helps a customer or it, uh, how about it stops an embarrassing experience where you call a, a customer and say, Hey, uh, you know, Hey, it's renewal time. And they're like, I'm not renewing. I've got five, you know, escalated support tickets open, or you haven't fixed 20 defects that I've reported. You know, that's an embarrassing conversation to try to talk around that you don't even know that. Whereas customer success tools can, can easily store that and, and aggregate that stuff for you to have better conversations. So those, those would be the two spots that I would see really the need for support data to go out. There's many others. You're right. Marketing could use it. I'm sure sales operations could use it to, to, to learn a lot about how, Use usage patterns and things like that. Well, how to sell, um, but those are the two biggest gaps I feel like are real customer experience gaps. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. One of the things that I feel like is always a struggle from uh, it, it's not even just CX, right? It's it's customer experience. We're always trying to replicate at scale what we can do really easily when when we don't have scale right so when i think about um if you have a really small startup with a really small team and you're dealing with your customers right all of that information is probably readily available to everyone who interacts with the customer because there's so few people doing that that you can have that really tailored, really personalized interaction and understanding, oh, hey, you know, I need to talk with so-and-so about renewing, but I know that they're still not happy about, you know, this issue that came about last week that we haven't resolved yet. And so I can bring that into the conversation because I do know that when I start to scale, now all of a sudden that changes because my customers are are interfacing differently with me with the product with support whatever the case may be and you know ultimately if we can use data to create an experience that is very similar to dealing with that startup yeah. that's when we're being successful with it yeah you're you're correct and i 
the t- the tools that are now available and we haven't really touched on on AI or machine learning or anything here and and rightfully so because I don't think that's necessarily the solution um but there are tools out there that can do smart things like that um there are tools that can bring in signals from all over the place and and aid support or aid success or, or whatever it might be um and and that's helpful and that helps scale like you said it help it helps you do things that you you used to do manually uh automatically and i don't i don't think ai is the silver bullet here i think that it helps augment the human experience the human manual effort that goes into these things but it's it's not it's not going to solve all your problems and i and i feel like companies sometimes think it is Right. I think a couple of things like, oh, well, this is just magic. It's going to just magically happen. It doesn't. There's still so much manual effort you need to you need to go through for these things. And um, and so just make that manual effort as less as possible is the important thing. And and start with these simple examples. The the other thing I wanted to ask you about. Is do you think that the sheer volume of data that is available today because we have so many different tools with which we can collect data just makes that part of the challenge of of making good decisions with data because there's just so much to sift through that I just don't know where to start or I don't know where it all is or or how to bring it together in a meaningful way because there really is just a ton of yeah. data out there. Yeah, so that that's a great great question in the sense that what I when I ask when I talk to people about support operations and building out a proper support ops team, the one thing that I say to them is pick a couple of use cases, two or three, and and do exactly what you just said. Find find something you want to tackle find out where that data exists work to get that data do whatever the analysis is run a small pilot maybe it's an a b test thing maybe it's a, a change across the board and you measure certain um, business outcomes you want to want to look at but do exactly what you what you just said in a small microcosm you know its own little thing like i'm testing just very specifically this thing prove it for one, two, three use cases, and then start to go to these other teams and say, look what we can do. Look what we can do in these small use cases using data that you've given us access to. And then start to ideate from that. Oh, what other data do you think you have that could help us in this example or, or, or go? And you start to brainstorm. And that's when you start to expand. I feel if you went to your, de- your development team and said, I want access to the entire data warehouse <laughs> to do stuff, you know, they're probably going to say no. But if you go probably. and say, I want access to this, you know, this set of data for this set of customers for this set of time, then then that's a much more achievable solution in, in some sort of, um, you know, some sort of beta test that you're trying to do. And once you show, hey, by using that data, we did this amazing thing. However, you show it, whether it be metrics or money or whatever you might be measuring, then they start saying, "Oh, well, why don't I add this to the data set you have?" And then this, and you, and you slowly scale it up that way, uh, because you're right. 
the volume is 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 insurmountable it's it's probably terabytes uh, you know pentabytes i mean it depends on your organization but it's it's going to be voluminous and it's not going to be an, i mean i used to work for a database company and i would see some of these databases and i'd be like i know what you do because i'm supporting you and doing it and i can't tell how this data maps together right um it's just it's just the way databases are and they've got gotten even more complex than then because we've got databases that aren't even relational anymore so um the uh yeah so that's that's how i would answer that i would say don't look at it as an aggregate problem to start look at it as here's a couple of things i want to do that i know what i want and i just need to get that from whomever owns it and then start to expand from there because it, yeah. yeah, it's overwhelming and it's overwhelming to the individuals too. If you just, it's, if you just went to a, a person and you know, Hey, you're a senior support person. Do you want to take on this cool project? Here's <laughs> terabytes of data, <laughs> Figure, you know, solve me a problem. You know, it's, it's going to, it's not going to go well, right. It's, it's, it's not focused enough. So start with the focused up and then move into some of the more generic models. Cause there are models out there where you could just say, Based on metric one, show me the tightest correlations of these 150 other things or whatever you're you're trying to achieve. And, and Google Sheets will spit out some sort of report for you, right? Or data visualization tools will do that too. Yeah, I, uh, speaking of the volume of data, I just saw that they're, uh, they've come out with three new prefixes in the metric system solely because the numbers are getting so big as it relates <laughs> to data that exists worldwide that we didn't have names for these numbers. <laughs> so we had to come up with, right, three new pre prefixes, right? That's nine digits worth yep. of prefixes that we had to come <laughs> up with. So uh, really, it's, me. it's mind-blowing uh, the amount of data that's that's out there. Yeah. So, so much good stuff that we've talked about. What's one little nugget that maybe uh, we haven't touched on that you think is important for people to think about as it relates to using support data? I think the biggest nugget that I have to offer is we focus so much on what our customers are explicitly telling us. We buy tools to analyze survey data. We we you know we we do um, text searches within our ticket management tool. We we look at what's being searched in our knowledge base. All of those things are very valuable. But it's it, what I would say is we need to start looking at what our what we can infer from what our customers are giving us, without specifically telling us they may be telling us some of those things too but we can make inferences we can infer when they have problems where they have problems in the product we can infer segments of customers that we may not know exist all the examples or many of the examples i've given here were things that the customers weren't telling us they weren't going to tell us that they were escalating tickets open on friday i didn't i wouldn't have told my my restaurant to tell me the wine proactively all of these examples are based on things that you can infer that will give your customers a better experience based on what they're giving us versus what they're telling us. Yeah, that is fantastic. Craig, thanks so much for joining Next in Q today. I yeah. really, really appreciate it. 
Absolutely. Thank you for having me. This was a great conversation. I really appreciate your time. Next in Queue is brought to you by Happy To and is produced by me, Rob Dwyer. If you enjoy this podcast, please, by all means, subscribe and or rate this podcast in iTunes or your favorite podcast app. But more importantly, please tell just one person about this podcast. Word of mouth is the best way for people to discover new content. As always, thanks for listening.